is there hope um, for some people to take in and and grasp and explore a better depiction of Israel that they might not believe right now? Um, and if so, how how can you do that? Hello, and welcome to episode one of the OJC Podcast Project. I'm Matt Shearing. I'll be your host for this podcast experiment. I've got three very special guests with me today from the OJC, and I'd like to ask them to introduce themselves. Hi, this is Rabbi Paul Drill. Hi, it's Rabbi Ami Hirsch, and joining them, Rabbi Craig Sheff. <laughs> it's so great to have you here. It's uh, Friday afternoon, October 27th. So delighted that you were able to make the time before Shabbat comes in. And I'm just going to jump right into it. So we're very fortunate this afternoon in that one of our own, an OJC student in college, uh, has agreed to come on this podcast and ask some questions, some things that have been on her mind. I'm about to dial in Miranda Price, a senior at Cornell University, and uh, she has prepared some questions. Miranda? Hi. Hi, it's Matt from OJC. And Rabbi Chef. And Rabbi Hirsch. And Rabbi Drill. So, hi. It's, uh, it's a privilege for us to hear from you this afternoon. We're, we're hoping that we can understand a little bit about the college perspective and some of the things that you're hearing, some of the things that you're dealing with. And as we had chatted a couple of days ago, wanted to give you an opportunity on on behalf of your peer group to ask some questions of our rabbis. Are you ready? I am ready. Miranda, before you start, I think first and foremost, we want to know that you're, we want to know that you're okay. And we want to know that uh, how, you are, how you are doing today in the midst of what has been taking place. Are you feeling solid? Are you feeling supported? How are you today? Today, I am doing pretty well. Um, it helps when the sun's out, um, so it takes away from the doom and gloom that's going on internally um, and around us. Um, today, I feel good because Shabbat is coming, and I know I'm going to be with my community later and tomorrow and tomorrow night. Um, and so today is a good day. Um, other Fridays in the last couple of weeks and other days have not been as good. It's been quite a roller coaster, at least for me, and I think for many of my peers as well. Um, you know, obviously everything was very startling when the war broke out, um, and my campus is actually on break. So we were all scattered everywhere. I was in Boston, um, other friends were in New York, all over the place. And so we were not together. Um, and that was very um hard. Um and then you know, things seem to be quiet and then a statement comes out and everyone's up and on about the statement or supporting the statement. And then um, some other act happens and people are, you know, on one side or the other and, you know, seeing what's going on on other campuses where we have friends, um, you know, is just as shocking and, um, you know, hard to sit with sometimes. So it really is a day-by-day challenge. Um, so... Thank today you. is good, but not every day. 
Thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad that you're able to find sources of resilience, whether it's the sunshine or Shabbat, to continue to give you the strength to confront whatever comes along tomorrow and the day after. So please, your questions. Sure. Um, so the first question um, is that I think one of the most common messages that I've been seeing um, is people really being appalled and averse um, to Israel's military response um, and saying that what Israel is doing now, this aggressive bombing and killing these innocent people and children, um, is just an example of what Israel is always doing to the Palestinian people, um, you know, tying it to quote unquote apartheid um, and oppression that Israel has been applying um, for 75 years, um, you know, from, from the perspective of many people. Um, and from a human perspective, it's not easy to look at what's going on, to look at this conflict and to remove the humanity and just say, well, what's Israel supposed to do? It's defending, it's defending itself. Um, because that sort of sounds, some people have been arguing that that sounds like exactly what we were standing up against, that it sounds like a justification against, or a justification for violence against other people. So how do we reconcile the two? How do we reject inflammatory language about Israel's military actions and history of wrongdoing and defend Israel's right to defend herself while still recognizing and grieving the loss of life of Palestinian people in Gaza. Wow. We're all just uh, breathing that in for a minute, Miranda. And looking at each other to decide who's going to take a stab first at answering. Can you move the phone a little bit closer? I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you, Rabbi. Oh. Grab the speaker right up against the microphone for you. Okay, perfect. Oh, you, I yeah. just want to offer Miranda that, first of all, I think, as I was saying to Matt at the be at the opening of this uh, podcast, that part of it will depend on who you're speaking to and what is the setting. Are you talking about on a you know a Saturday night at a at a social event, or are you talking about walking across campus when you encounter a demonstration? Are you talking about in a classroom where you hear comments being made, or in informal settings where you have the chance to actually sit down with someone? Because for me, the question is always, who's my audience? Like, what can I actually gain from engaging here? Is there a way to have a constructive outcome to this engagement or not? So that's always the first question to me. And I think that who the audience is going to be will determine to some degree how those comments are answered. I agree. I think that it's important to remember that because there are certain audiences today, Miranda, who no matter what you share, no matter what we say, are just not going to be able to hear what we would like them to be able to hear. And I don't think any of, I know that none of us, and I'd like to think that none of Israeli society, or for that matter, the Jewish world, in any way is feeling good about the destruction and loss of life in Gaza or in either side of issues right now. But I also know that there is a reality on the ground. We were hurt as a people. Um, and in order to be done with that, to feel that we can be safe in our space, there are realities of how this needs to be playing out right now. Um, and nobody, nobody in society in Israel and across the Jewish world is celebrating when there's loss of life in Gaza. And I think that's an important point because that's not the case on the other side right now, unfortunately, from some. 
And we have a right to defend and we have a right to take care of ourselves to know that we can live in safety. And I think for some people, they need to be reminded of that, but it's not going to work for everybody. The question goes to the heart of what all of us are broken about, Miranda. You just hit us right in the solar plexus. We need to look for the sunny days and we need to look for Shabbat as well. And every answer that comes into my mind, and I'm sure you know the same answers that your rabbis would say, sounds defensive because as Jews, as the state of Israel, from the very beginning of time, we've had to defend our right to be in the world. Feels like that, especially in times of trauma. And I'll go so far as to say there are not Jewish people in Israel who are applauding the destruction of life in Gaza except for the loss of life of terrorists who, if left alive, would continue killing and celebrating that murder of Jews. So that's as strong as I can put it. There isn't, for me, a way to um, rationalize or make equal when the object of an incursion was to murder, mutilate, humiliate, and kidnap as many innocent civilians as possible versus a defensive war that, yes, is going to become offensive and maybe even over Shabbat. By the time this podcast is put out in the world, Miranda, we may look back on Friday and think how naive we were. Um, I I'll just say that the loss of life of innocent Palestinians hurts the Jewish people as well. It hurts us. And the fact that they are being um, held and not allowed to leave, the fact that they live on top of sites of war, the fact that many of them would like a different way of life, but Hamas, a terrorist organization, not a government, but a terrorist organization, manages everything about their daily lives, has to be taken into account. And you know that you have three rabbis and a president sitting here on the phone with you who all will say, Israel is not perfect. Israel needs to improve. Israel has made mistakes in her 75-year history. And also, Israel strives to be moral. So here's what I have for you, Miranda. It's it's two questions, and it's actually it's three questions that I would pose back to anyone who would challenge me with Israel is horrible, Israel is in the wrong here. Question number one is, do you acknowledge that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish democratic state? And if the answer is no, then there's really nothing to talk about. But if they do acknowledge that Israel has a right to exist as a Jewish state the same way that so many Muslim countries exist as Muslim states and Christian countries exist as Christian states, if they don't understand that we are merely 18 million people in the world and that we've this is the only place we've ever called a home of our own, 
and are seeking to build something as imperfect as it is as a democracy, if they're not willing to acknowledge that, there's not anything to talk about. The second question is, do you acknowledge that Hamas's charter explicitly calls upon the elimination of Jews from that part of the world, the same way that Iraq or Iran do not permit Jews. We don't call it genocide. We don't call it ethnic cleansing. They're just not simply allowed in those countries. So if we ask the question, do you acknowledge that Hamas is committed to the obliteration of any Jewish presence from the river to the sea? And if they say, no, I don't acknowledge that, well, then there's nothing to talk about because they're, they refuse to acknowledge what Hamas says itself. And the third question is, put back on them, what would you do? If you had, if you had a terrorist organization who was bent on your destruction, crossing your borders armed, looking to kill your innocent civilians, what would you do? What cost would you incur? What price would you pay to assure your own safety? And maybe there's a conversation to be had there because we all know what the next question is. What comes next? I, you, I know you haven't asked, asked that question yet. I don't know if it's one of your questions, but for all of us now, the question is all of this going on, Israel being bent on eliminating Hamas from the region, the price is horrible. We don't know whether it's right or wrong. We're doing the best we can to protect our children and our families. And ultimately, for what? Because what comes next? Is it the same thing that we've had for the last 20 years, or is it something new? And I don't have the answer to that, but I'd love to know what they suggest we're supposed to do in this situation. The reason I find this so helpful is that in response to your first question, Rabbi Shep, is who is the audience? And I think for a lot of us, young people in particular, the first audience is ourselves. How are we processing this? How are we meant to reconcile? And so the questions that you just asked, at least for me, are a great starting point. Thank you all. Miranda, you had another question, right? Yeah. Um, my second question um, was really, it was tied into... Um, exactly what Matt was just echoing and, and what you shared, Rabbi Shep, about, um, you know, who are we talking to? Um, and, and what's the, what's the, the setting? Um, and so, yeah, I guess, I don't know if there's anything to add. Um, my question was that right now the, the tensions are very high, um, and people are, you know, people have very strong feelings one way or another about what's going on um and i guess a better way to frame the question is is there hope um for some people to take in and and grasp and explore a better depiction of israel that they might not believe right now um and if so how how can you do that for some people there's always hope, Miranda. You belong to OJC. We look, no pressure. We look at our young people like you, and that is where this generation finds hope. I think hope is found in quiet conversations, not, not on the walkways of Cornell University or at an anti-Israel rally, but in the people you have come to know and sitting quietly and sharing your personal pain, 
and the way that you consider this situation, that's where hope lies in conversations person to person. And the other thing I'll add is a brief story. I spoke with one of my many cousins in Israel. Um, They raised four children. Those children are now in their mid-30s with families of their own. My cousins have 13 grandchildren, and all four are right now serving on front lines in Israel. So I asked them how they go to sleep at night. What, What are they possibly thinking about? And Elchanan said to us, if we stick together, we will succeed. We are one people. And through these three weeks that have obviously personally and professionally been spiritually, <laughs> have been exhausting, depleting, depressing, frightening, all of that, I've held on to the idea of Am Yisrael Chai. It sounds so innocent and naive. We are one people and the people of Israel lives. But I know that when Rabbi Sheff and I were teaching Kita Vav and Kita Zion, you know, sixth and seventh graders to be proud of being Jewish, I know that when I've had conversations with congregants in hard places and trying to understand what's going on or responding to things people have said, when we identify strongly with one another, that is where the hope lives because it gives us the resilience to enter into those conversations. It's on all of us to do that, to find the people with whom we have collegiality or friendship or acquaintanceship, maybe some of the closest of our friends who aren't Jewish, and talk about it. Ari Rosenblum, the the director of our federation, wrote a beautiful piece last week where he said, our words have consequences. Everything we do now has consequences, and we're empowered. You're empowered, Miranda, with your identity and your knowledge to have those quiet conversations. Miranda, to answer your question, there are small stories where I see hope right now. Um, Stories of Israeli Jewish doctors getting to an operating table and realizing in front of them is one of the terrorists um, who destroyed lives and yet was understanding their responsibility as a medical professional to take care of them. There are stories of elderly members of some of the kibbutzim down south who were directly affected by these acts, and yet they are volunteering their time right now to drive Palestinians who need to leave Gaza because they're seeking medical care, even in these times, and are doing things like that. And though smaller in number, there are some voices amongst the Palestinian Arab community who are speaking up against what's happening right now. And some of those small stories give me hope. But if I have to be honest, there's a piece to me that feels hopeless at times right now also. Um, Not that I think there won't be an end in some way that will resolve the current situation, but it's easy to feel a little bit hopeless right now. It's hard to understand how this will play out in the short term, midterm, and long term. And I think it's okay to say that. I think it's okay to say and own that we are feeling concerned about what this future looks like as part of this conversation. I find a couple small measures of hope Thinking back 50 years ago to the surprise attack on Yom Kippur and the existential crisis that Israel found itself in at that time, and in the wake of that war, two bitter enemies and two warriors, actually, stood together and created a peace that has actually lasted these 50 years well enough between Israel and Egypt. Uh, No one ever would have foreseen 
Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin making peace together. And there is hope to be found in that notion that when the, when the smoke clears on that, on what's taking place here, somebody stands up and says, this can't happen again. This is just wrong for us and for you. It can't happen again. We have to write a different story together. So there's that. And then strangely enough, I wasn't, I, I have my issues with the Abraham Accords, but I must tell you that the idea that Saudi Arabia could still be entertaining the notion of speaking with Israel about normalizing relationships at some level is actually a sign of hope for us, that there is a, a regional aspiration, if you will, towards wanting greater normalcy for everyone in the region. And if such things can come to be, then maybe a pressure gets created on the other populations of the region. Maybe not Iran, maybe not Iraq, but hope, but maybe, maybe, maybe we can hold on to a, a little measure of hope that there are people who want something different and that could bring about a different result. If I may, I want to bring a third question in and then I know we've got to cut this off, but finding those stories of hope in this age of media bias seems like it's getting ever harder. And on Miranda's behalf, as well as on behalf of anyone listening to this podcast, where do we find them? How do we... We don't want to live in an echo chamber, per se. It's not productive. Uh, we want to hear alternative voices and views. But it can be too much uh, at times. And so do you have recommendations? I'm not going to ask if you could only listen to or watch one source of information here. What is it? But I would ask if you could maybe enlighten those listening as to some sources that might be a bit less biased than what many of us may be seeing right now. By nature of being part of the OJC community, Miranda, you and so many of your friends have been able to take part in Israel education that is based on relationship building and better than news source, better than social media. And what's made these past three weeks the hardest, actually, is that, Miranda, when you see the news, you're not picturing blank faces of soldiers in their green uniforms, but you're picturing your friends and the counselors you've worked with at camp and the shlichim you've met at the shul and trips that you've been on, the personal faces. And that's what's been so painful because it's those people who are fighting on the front lines right now and volunteering. So I actually think better than a news source, and there are plenty out there that show different sides, what we've done in our communities is make sure that the people we know and are educating engage with Israel through the individual relationships. So ask people. Ask them who are on the ground. As Rabbi Sheff taught last week in a sermon, we're the secondary players or the bit characters in this story, even though we think we're so involved with it. It's the people on the ground who can share the stories from their perspectives. So ask them. If you don't know someone personally and you're listening to this podcast, write to your rabbis. We'll, we'll give you a pen pal. There's nothing like the daily call I put into my machatenista to Sagi's mom to see what's going on with her. So here's a feel-good story. Her home was, is not safe. She can't be there right now from the Falsim. Some wealthy developer in Tel Aviv finished his 29-story building, and instead of starting to rent it out, 
gave away every apartment to someone from the South, and Racheli has a dira, an apartment like she could never dream of, amazing view of Azrieli Tower. She's living there for three months so that she can catch her breath and breathe as her whole life has been demolished. She'd be happy to talk to any of you every other day. I promise. Just call us. If I could make one suggestion to cut through the social media and to cut through our feeds that aren't giving us these stories, I would say, and if you're going to use the social network platform, I would say, look into the organization hand in hand, Yad Liyad, uh, actually Yad Biyad, um, in Jerusalem, a bilingual, bicultural school, Jews and Arabs going to school together and to see what their communities are doing and how they are speaking to their children and managing these times is uplifting. It's a, a, a source of hopefulness also, but also truly organically from the bottom up how the narratives can be shaped for the future. There's, there's a place that I would tell you to, to follow. And not to keep people in an echo chamber, but if you're looking for strength and you're looking for support and affirmation, I would suggest Israel Policy Forum. Their stuff is great. I would suggest Hartman. Anything, any podcast is useful and helpful. And J Street has been putting out wonderful public information. Thank you. Miranda, before we close the podcast, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share a parting thought, whether that's gratitude or just a, a comment with our rabbis yourself. Sure. Well, just again, thank you for the opportunity to ask these questions. I think that there's so much confusion and tension and feeling helpless and feeling lost and feeling supported and feeling connected. And it's all going on at the same time. And I think that you know, we're all away from our home communities, but we have a community here. And sometimes we feel like our community is unseen and it's all of these things, just all, all existing together. And I think being able to just sit down in a space and ask me questions that are percolating in everyone's mind and have some thoughtful answers, um, is, is really helpful. So I'm, I'm really happy for this opportunity. Um, to be able to, you know, then share share this dialogue that we've had um, with more people. Um, and I, I've been given a lot more hope. Um, as I said, today's a good day, but a lot of other days this week, the week before, the week before that, um, have been helpless. There have been tears. There's, you know, there's been heartbreak. There's been loneliness. Um, but I think having hope now in what we are doing and the strategies that we are employing and the dialogue that we're trying to have, um, you know, the help that I feel like I've received in, in knowing how to preserve my energy um, and direct my, my thoughts and, and my dialogue is going to be really helpful going forward. So just thank you. Um, and if you've made it this far in the podcast, call a vote. Um, I hope that you've learned um, and had some more um, exposure to what's going on in the minds of people like me um, and to see what's going on in the minds of our rabbis as well. Miranda, thank you. I'm going to ask you to host the next one, I think. On behalf of the rabbis and our ODC community, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Thank you, thank you for your courage um, and for your, for your engagement. As we bring episode one of the OJC Podcast Project to a close, 
I want to thank our rabbis for their time this afternoon, and I want to wish you all a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat with moments of Shalom.